Well, speaking of awesome news, a week ago Tuesday, people downtown Indianapolis had an amazing experience. One guy was walking along the street and he started noticing green stuff swirling in the gutter and on the sidewalk and then some more green stuff fluttered by his head. Money was falling from heaven, literally. And it's like just coming down everywhere. And people are like, what is this? It's, it's dollars. And they started picking them up. One guy said, I looked up to see if it was a joke. If somebody was up on a building tossing dollar bills off. And he said, there wasn't. It was just blessings from above. Well, then police showed up to investigate. Which, by the way, I've got to ask. Who calls 911 to report money falling from heaven? Just take it and go. Go. But the police start investigating with like all this money falling from the sky, they finally went up on top of one of those buildings that's in the picture there. They found like several hundred one dollar bills still swirling on the rooftop, Federal Reserve uh, paper wrappers up there. They don't know where it came from. There was a Qdoba that had been robbed like a couple weeks before that, but at the time I watched this news uh, report, they still didn't know where it came from. So just like, just take it. Which I'm thinking about this, and no offense to anybody from Indiana, but I think I may have found my first reason to actually live in Indiana. That right there. How about any of you, would you say my finances could use a little blessing from heaven right now? Yeah, all of us maybe? Yeah, that's, I hope this series, ABCs of Financial Freedom, has been helping you with that. Uh, I love getting to teach on the Bible's wisdom about money for, for this reason. It's, it's one of those few times that I get to see people make some changes and almost immediately see some spiritual results and some literal physical results in their finances. And, and I, I get it that there are a lot of people who go, oh gosh, a church and a pastor preaching on money, this is exactly what I expected. Why did I bother going to church? This is, you're like confirming every worst fear that people have. But ask anybody who knows me, who's been here a while, I'm not like that. Our church is not like that. We, we don't want anything from you. And you say, well, you just said you're doing a building program, but... It's not about the building program. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you when I teach about finances. I, I want you to have financial freedom. And I want you to not stay awake at night worrying and anxious about your, your situation. And I, I want you to be able to provide for your family and, and prepare for the future and to do great things for God if that's what he puts on your heart. So that's the motivation behind teaching through this series. And I'll tell you this, if you uh, are a person who maybe is like most Americans you understand or you know somebody or you're related to somebody who says, my, my experience with money hasn't always been positive. Like, we've all made dumb financial decisions. We've all done that. And for, as one reporter said on CNBC, money and stress for many Americans just goes hand in hand. Just give you a, a little insight into what that looks like. A recent study from the American Psychological Association found out that three-quarters of all Americans are experiencing financial stress at some point. One-fourth of all Americans are experiencing extreme financial stress all the time. I'll give you another one. Two years ago, a study was done, found 70% of married couples, or just couples, argue more about money than household chores, uh, togetherness, sex, snoring, or what's for dinner. Everybody's arguing about money, 7 out of 10 people. I was just reading this week that 66 million Americans, that's adults, so that's pretty much a big majority of us, don't have anything set aside for an emergency. Zero which means there's a whole lot of us praying that the washing machine doesn't break down or that the car doesn't blow a tire. We just don't have any margin, which elevates your stress level. It's not just the stuff that's happening, it's the stuff that you worry about that could happen. And like I pointed out at the beginning of the message in series in January, the national household debt level in the United States in 2016 grew to over $12 trillion. That's our student loans. Some of you feel like that's half my... I got half of it just with my student loans. Or 
but it's your car payment, your mortgage, all that is added up. And what it means is there are so many Americans who are not living lives of financial freedom. It's like I'm talking to you and you're feeling like, oh, he knows he's been reading my mail. I haven't. I just know where a lot of us are. And that's why I think something like this could make a real immediate difference as we just say, what does God's word say about handling money and finances? And what can we learn from that? And what can we do differently so that, you know, going forward, things are better than they have been before. So that's what we're doing. Uh, When you get God involved in your finances, it changes everything, really. I heard about a Christian woman. I was actually, Gene Apple, a pastor in California, was talking about this woman. I don't know if it's a true story or not. It's a funny story. She, she was very, she was a Christian, really expressive in her faith. She'd get up in the morning, she'd grab her coffee, she'd go out on the back deck, and she'd just put her arms in there and say, praise the Lord. That was her morning routine. That was kind of her prayer thing. She lived next to a guy who was basically an atheist, and they had a, a good relationship. They'd kind of kid, but she'd come out there, she'd go, praise the Lord. If he was out on his back deck, he would go, there's no God. So every morning, they'd like this routine. Praise the Lord. There is no God. Praise the Lord. There is no God. So this kind of went back and forth. And one morning, she walked out there and she said, praise the Lord. Lord, I could really use some help with some groceries. Things are getting tight. Next morning, she came out. There were, on the edge of her porch, the back porch, there were bags of groceries. She said, praise the Lord. Thank you. And her neighbor jumped out because he'd been waiting for this. And he said, ha, I told you there's no God. I bought those groceries. She didn't miss a beat. Praise the Lord. You gave me groceries and you used the devil to do it. (laughs) When you get God involved in your financial world, like every other aspect of your life, supernatural things tend to happen. Things that you can't necessarily explain. God does things. And that's what we're wanting to do is to invite God into our our lives. So these messages through this series have built on one another. If you're here for the first time today, first of all, just say, hey, relax. We're not asking anything from you. We're really talking to the people who are really engaged in connection. I hope this is helpful to you. But even if you are part of connection and you've missed some of the weeks these build, so you may want to go back and get the podcast from iTunes or just go directly to our church website and you can listen to these. But let's just do a very quick review. The ABCs, anybody who has been here for this series, what does the A stand for? Attitude, right? We got to think about the attitudes we've got. And there are some biblical attitudes to embrace things that are true about finances, such as, even though there's something in me that says, it's all my stuff, it's all my money, the Bible would say, no, not necessarily. It's, it's all God's and he gives it to you to manage. A whole different attitude. And then the B stood for? bondage or slavery, the debt that presses us down, the attitudes that we hold that are just not true, that, that hold us back. See, last week, anybody remember that? Had your coffee yet? Choice, right. Uh, we start choosing to do something different with the stuff that we've got. And the choice is, do I put me and my stuff first or do I put God first? A completely different switch. And we talked last week and we looked at the idea where God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me I want you to, like especially he told the Old Testament people of Israel, I want you to take 10% of everything that I give you and I want you to return it to me. This is your way of showing that that I am more important than your stuff, God says, and it shows that you trust me. And we talked about how we can do more with 90% of our money and God than we can do all by ourselves with 100% of our money. So that's the choice we make. Now today we get to D, it's time to make a decision what am I going to do with what I've heard about? What am I going to do with this teaching? And it's a, if you're new to the Bible, we've been going to the Bible for financial advice, and you might think that's weird, but if you're newer to the Bible, you may not know that there is teaching about money marbled all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. 
In fact, if you go to the New Testament, there are more verses in the New Testament about money, like four times more about money than heaven and hell combined. It's like 500 to 2,000. Jesus talked about money and possessions all the time. Probably because one of the first competitors to our loyalty to God is our stuff. Like the first thing that people idolize is money. So Jesus talked about it a lot. Like for example, he told, um, he told parables. These are teaching stories. He told 38 of them that are recorded in the Bible. 16 of them had to do with money. In fact, if you got a Bible, I'd like you to turn to one of those today because we're going to look at one of those teaching parables that Jesus gave. It's in Matthew chapter 25. So in my Bible, that's about three quarters of the way through. If you've got a smartphone app, it's easy. You just type in Matthew and you can find it. And so if you would, go ahead and find it. Matthew 25. If you've got a worship folder that when you came in, you got that. You can take notes in there and you can follow along. I want to go through what Jesus taught in this parable. So... Um, we're going to start in verse 14 and 15. This is a teaching story that Jesus told, uh, trying to teach some things about what life and what reality is really all about. So let's go ahead and start. And verse 14 and 15, we'll pause just to get the meaning out of those first couple of verses. Jesus said, It's going to be like a man going on a journey who called his servants in, and he entrusted his wealth to them. And to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Now, I'm going to pause there because we're 2,000 years away from this story, and things that would have made sense immediately to the people listening to the story don't necessarily make sense to us. We don't have servants. We don't give people bags of gold when we go on vacation. So it's a little like, what? But it made sense to them. Here's the thing we need to understand. Wealthy people like this man in the story still today do the same thing. They just do it a little bit differently. If Jesus were telling this story in 2017, he might say, a very wealthy man called his top executives, his hedge fund managers in, and he said, I'm going off the grid for the next few months on a trip. Here's what I want you to do with my money while I'm gone. And so this is a very common thing. You're going to be gone. You still want your money working for you while you're gone. So you put it in the care of, Jesus said servants, we would call them executives or people who work for you who are just highly trusted, highly skilled, great people, employees maybe. So this man goes on the trip, and he, what, Jesus used an interesting word there. What did the guy do with his bags of gold? What's the actual word Jesus used? Anybody remember? Because it's not on the screen. He entrusted it to them, which means he put it under their care or their protection. Five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold. Awesome translation in the New International Version, which I was reading from. Jesus didn't actually literally use the word bags of gold, but I think it's a great translation in English because it gets us the idea. He actually used the word talent or talenta, it's a word we don't use. It was a unit of money or weight back then, and everybody would have immediately gone, oh my gosh, that guy gave them a lot of money. Bags of gold gets that idea across. A bag of gold or a talenta, it would have been anywhere from a million to two million dollars. So how much money has he given these guys? Millions and millions of dollars that this man has just entrusted to their care and protection, right? So in 2017 dollars, we're talking like one guy gets like 10 million dollars, to take care of. One guy gets $4 million. One guy gets $1 to $2 million. These are not just uh, insignificant amounts. Has anybody ever came to you and said, hey, Scott, I really trust you, buddy. I'm going to entrust $10 million of my money to you. See, this is obviously a fantasy because I don't have $10 million. I do trust you, though. But this is a normal thing because wealthy people do this all the time. We put our, our retirement fund in the care of somebody else. So people get it. This guy's going on a trip. He's entrusted the money over. Let's think about what it means for us, though. What's Jesus trying to get across here? If we think about it, who do you think that the wealthy man in the story represents? Just take a wild guess, and you're probably right. 
God, right? So it, it, it's a Sunday school answer, I know, but in this case, it's right. The wealthy man stands for God. And who are the servants in the story? Us, yes. And so the point Jesus is trying to get across is God has entrusted you and me with everything we have. He's the wealthy guy saying, I'm putting this stuff under your care and protection. This is the first thing that we have to grasp if we're going to have financial freedom. It's what we talked about very first thing at the, the, the Attitude Week. It's not my stuff. God's given it to me to take care of. I can enjoy it. I can use it. But it's really not mine. And so there we go. And you say, well, yeah, but I really worked hard. I earned that. I put in the hours. I started the business. I had the brilliant idea. I invested wisely. I was disciplined. Yeah, and good for you. And that's what God wants us to do with our abilities and our money and everything. Who gave you the abilities? Who gave you the, the intelligence? Who gave you the job? You start thinking about it. There's nothing that we have that wasn't handed to us first, including our own bodies and our lives. There's nothing that we just created from nothing like God created us in the world. It's a humbling thought, but it's a necessary first thought because we get too prideful and we think, like, I did all this. And God says, you wouldn't have done anything if it wasn't for me. I've entrusted all of this to you. And uh, with all that trust that God puts in us, because he's given us a lot of stuff based on our abilities, there's an expectation that comes along with that. Let's go ahead and go back to Jesus' story, verse 16. We're going down through verse 18. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and he put his money to work and he gave five bags more. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now Jesus never says it explicitly. This is one of those things that people hearing the story would have just immediately understood. When the master gave them the money for them to watch over, he didn't want them just to make sure that it was still, the exact amount was still there when, they, when he got back. He expected them to use it, to put it to work. He wants to make more money with his money. Uh, somebody, I, I've heard this before. Money's a great employee because it never sleeps. You can put it to work 24-7 for you. And these guys immediately, two of them, went to work with it. When I was a little kid, I heard this story, maybe junior high, high school. It freaked me out. I related to the third guy. Because as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with money. I related to the third guy because, like, I'm thinking if somebody hands me $2 million, my first thought is, I, gosh, I can't lose it. I, I got I to protect it. I would have buried it in the ground just because I don't know what else to do with it. Now, I've gotten a little bit older, and if this story freaks you out, just understand, these three guys in Jesus' story were highly skilled. They were executive level. They knew stuff. They were sharp. They knew how to take money and make more money with it, which is exactly the idea. They were, as I hung around with with business, business people and entrepreneurs, I started to realize that there's a lot of ways that you can put money to work besides just putting it in the bank or burying it in a hole in the ground. I mean, really think about it. You can, you can go into real estate. You can buy houses and flip them and make a profit that way. You can invest in a Chick-fil-A franchise and do that. You can invest in the stock market. Go Apple, right? You can, I don't know, you can put it in the bank at 0.0001% interest at least, you know, you get $5 interest off of $10 million, but... They could have done a lot of things. They could have gone on Shark Tank and found a new business idea and invested in that. There's so many things you can do with money to make more money, and two of the guys got it. But all they had to do is remember when they received those bags of gold and all the time that the guy, the, the owner was gone, 
just have to think, this is, this is money that I've received in my care. This is an awesome responsibility. I'm immediately, instantly a millionaire. That's awesome. I get to live the millionaire lifestyle. I get the paycheck that goes with it. But it's not my money either. So I have to think, the guy who entrusted the money to me, how does he want his money to be used? Because it's his reputation. It's his money. I don't want him to come back and be embarrassed what I did with his money. And they were thinking that through. So let's stop and think about what that means for us. If God has entrusted us with everything we have, then therefore that means that I'm the manager of, or the steward of everything that God has given to me. If it's not mine and it's his, I have to think about how does God want me to use this? Again, he wants me to enjoy it. He wants me to put it to good use. But he wants me to use it in ways that are consistent with what he thinks is important. And I'm not the owner. I'm just the manager of everything that God's given me. Which is a crucial mind shift. And I want you to think about this. This is a part that I want to challenge you with a little bit. This is not just in the area of finances. We sit here before God, who is Lord of everything. Jesus is Lord of everything that you see and things you don't see. And the first step to finding true life in God is to admit, I am not the boss of everything. That, that God is number one in my life. That Jesus is number one. In my, that's how you become a Christian. You submit to God. You submit to Jesus and you say, not my will, your will. What do you want me to do with this life that you've given me? And you come to the area of your finances, which is one of the first and most obvious places that you can illustrate whether you really trust God and you put God first or not. What do you want me to do with what you have given to me? You get first shot at it because you are the owner and I'm the manager. Tell me what you want me to do with it. What often puts us in financial difficulties is we've reversed that. I'm the center of my universe. I'm going to spend my money on whatever I want to spend my money on. And where has that taken us? If the first step to our financial struggles is putting ourselves first, doesn't it make sense that the first step out of our financial struggles would be to go back to putting God first? I'm not the owner. I'm just the manager. Now, I want to go back to the story because Jesus closes it out. And there's, there's a happy side to it and there's a, a not-so-good side to it. Let's go ahead and I'm just going to skim through it. Matthew twenty-five nineteen. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. He settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I like that. $10 million is a few things to him. I'll put you in charge of many things. You get to run the Warren Buffett Fund. Billions of dollars now. Come share your master's happiness. We're going to Cancun. We're going to celebrate because you did an awesome job taking care of the stuff that I trusted you with. The man with the two bags of gold came in. Same thing. Look, I, you gave me two and I got you two more. And again, awesome job. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's go to Cancun. You did everything I wanted. You are an awesome servant. Now I see I can trust you with this. I'm going to trust you with even more. Third guy comes in. Uh, he's only received one bag of gold. Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seeds, so I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. What you gave me, I'm just giving it right back to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the banker. So when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. You, you didn't even do the bare minimum with, with my money. So 
take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. If you've got a Bible that you can underline stuff in, I think you ought to underline that. Who has will have more, and they'll have an abundance, more than they need. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the first two come in, they do what they're supposed to. This guy clearly has not even a clue about what his master expected from him or chose to ignore it. Jesus called him lazy. He knew the right thing to do and he just chose not to. And he lost everything that he was trying so desperately to hold on to because he didn't do the first thing that his owner, master, boss wanted him to do. Here's the lesson for us. And this is so important. God's going to ask me and God's going to ask you to give an account to him for how we did with the stuff that he entrusted to us. At some point in our, hist- in our future, God's going to have a conversation with me and with you. Like, what, what did you do with the stuff that I entrusted to your care? Yeah, I gave you so much based on your ability and I, I did expect you to do some good things in the world with it. Take care of your family. Be generous. Don't make it the, the most important thing in your life. How did you do with that? You know, and Jesus, another time after, before this story, he, he said something else I think is so important, and I, I think it's true. I tend to believe things that Jesus say. This is Matthew six thirty three. Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and then God will give you everything you need. Which sounds so counterintuitive to what our logic would tell us. Logic says, I need to to conserve, I need to take care of myself first, and if there's anything else left, then I can do some things for other people. And Jesus says, no, you need to reverse that. If it was true that the world is all there is and there's no God, then yes, that would make sense. You need to take care of yourself. But we don't live in a world where there is no God. And when you get God involved in in your heart and in your life, there's things that that you can explain no other way than, than supernatural, that God did something extraordinary that you could have never counted on, that you could have never planned for or expected, other than, you know, I made God the most important thing in my life, not my stuff. So I want to get into some practical things to make this real for us. This is, again, there's so many things about the spiritual life that are hard to measure and hard to get your hands on. This is one of those that's very simple. It's, you're either doing it or you're not. It's very measurable. And it's also one of those areas that I guarantee you, it's very easy to start seeing God at work in your life if you're honoring him. So let's, let's think about what our decision is today. Again, if you're new here, just sit back and relax. You can do this if you want. If not, and even if you aren't new here, the only pressure I'm putting on you is to think this through. Ultimately, you've got to pray about this. You've got to make the decision in your own heart and feel good about it that this is what God wants me to do as my next step. So that's, you know, it's the only pressure I'm giving you, but I want you to think about it. And so please do that for me. At least consider it and pray about it. So... Let's start with the most important thing according to Jesus, putting God first in our finances. Last week, we talked about a verse from the Old Testament. It was through the prophet Malachi. And it was explicitly told to the people of Israel. This is before Jesus came here and lived. And he made this promise. And I said last week, I don't think that coupon has expired. Even though God gave this promise to the people of Israel, I think he still honors this promise for people today who do this. Let me just go ahead and read the verse. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about. God himself says this, bring the full tithe, that's 10% of your income, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing so much so that there's no more need. It's a promise. And God says, look, I, 
Nowhere else in the Bible do I see this. God says, like, test me, try me, do it and see what happens. Bring 10% of your income to me, give it to me, show me that I'm first, return it to me, and I will bless you in return so much so you can't even keep track of all the blessings that you've got. And it could be literal financial blessings. It could be that your car runs longer than it should have and you don't even know it because it just kept running and it's God says, I did that for you. It could be that your health stays good and you don't have to go to the doctor and you don't have to go to the ER. It could be, so many, it could be peace in your heart because God is the first in your life. So many blessings, literal and, and spiritual that you, and emotional that you could have. But I want to challenge you. So if you've got the worship folder, there's a place in there where I've listed some things you might want to do with this. This is between you and God. You don't have to show anybody else. You don't have to turn this in. But I've got some things about the tithe that I would like to consider and challenge you with. So some of the options there, like for you, maybe it's I've never done this before and this is new to me, but I'm willing to try and test God. And so you would maybe mark, I will begin giving a tithe or more for the first time ever in my life. I'm literally going to calculate what my paycheck is, what our family income is, and I'm going to take 10% of that and I'm going to give it to God as an offering. And if you think that I'm doing this because I want to increase our church's offering, pick a church and just give it to some other church. Just send them a check. Let them be surprised. I don't care. You, I think you should give it here, but you know, I'm not looking for your money. I'm looking for you. So maybe that's your decision. First time ever. Maybe for you, you've tithed before or given more and you kind of drifted away from that, but you feel like God's saying, it's time to do this again. I will commit to returning to tithing or more. Or maybe your decision is, I'm doing this, and I'm just going to keep on doing it. And you can mark that down. Will you take God up on his challenge? I've, I've been doing this a long time now. I've been teaching in churches for a long time, and I can tell you, every time I teach on finances, when I talk about this, I always invariably have people come up and tell me their stories, and it's always good. And I'm so excited for some of you, because this week, you've made the decision, you're doing this today, and I can't wait to see what happens for you this week when God blesses you. And it's going to happen. There's a pastor down in Oklahoma. You might have heard of him. His name's Craig Groeschel. And he talks about tithing a lot at the Life Church that he's a part of. And uh, here's the challenge that he gives his church every year. He says it like this. We're so passionate about tithing at Life Church, we have what we call the three-month tithe test. If you want to test God, we're going to help you. You want to give it a shot? You just start tithing for the next three months, and if at any point you say, this isn't working, you just call us, and we'll give you back everything you gave. I love that. It's like, here, God says test him. Let's just do it right now. And I love that so much. I haven't even talked to the elders about this. I hope this is okay. I like that challenge. You, you tithe, and you're like, okay, we're going to do this. And you get so far into it, and you're like, Brian lied. This is not doing anything like what he said. Then if you feel like that, I want to guarantee you that you can contact Craig Rochelle and Life Church, and they will refund your offering for you that, that you gave here, right? In case you're wondering if real people actually do this, if I'm, let me just give you one story among many. So we, we taught about giving and putting God first, and somebody came up to me, and they were talking about how you said it, and we did it last week. We talked about it as a family. We said, yes, we're going to tithe. And they said it was really scary. So much so, she said, the girl who was telling me about this, she said, I was writing the tithe check and my hand was shaking. I was like, how are we going to do this? I don't know if this is a good idea. And, but God says we should do it and I think it is. But she said, I was literally crying as I put the money in the offering. And she couldn't wait to catch me the next week to tell me what happened. She said, you would not believe 
We had money come in all over the place this week that we never anticipated. It was like this thing settled and we got this check for this other thing that we had no idea. It's amazing. I said, That's, God says that. He will take care of you. You, won't, you cannot outgive God. He has a bigger shovel. You put something towards God, he just shovels more and more into your life. It's, it's a promise. Because the problem is not, can God provide? He has everything. The problem is, can you put God first in your heart? Why would God give you more of what is leading you away from him to begin with? Would you give the keys to the Cadillac to a 10-year-old if it's just going to hurt them? God wants us to learn how to handle things responsibly and to put our lives in his care. And when we show that he is the most important, he says, look, I can obviously trust you with this, so when I give you more, it's not going to ruin and wreck your life. I can trust you to be a blessing to other people and to be generous and to take care of your family and not to get too obsessed with what money buys. So there we go. That's the the challenge. And I've I've actually seen some of you smiling because you know what I'm talking about. And you've lived this. And for some of you, maybe you remember this and you've gotten away from it. Today's the day you say, I need to get back to that. I need to just say, I trust God to actually literally prove it. Not to just say, oh yeah, I trust God. I'm going to prove it. Now, for some others of you, maybe you've got a decision that lies elsewhere. I've also got that in the bulletin. As we've been going through this series, maybe it's just awakened some things in you. You're like, you're like, I am tithing, but I don't have a whole lot of order and discipline in my financial world otherwise. I've got my heart right with God, but there's some other things that are just kind of messy. So maybe for you, the decision for you is to say, I'm going to seek out some wise financial counsel. I'm going to go to Barnes & Noble, and I'm going to buy the Dave Ramsey book. I'm going to find something else, whatever works for you, but you're just going to say, things are not going to go forward like they have been before. I'm going to bring some order and discipline. I'm going to find the club fitness of finances and get involved in this. I'm going to go forward in a different way. For maybe it's, for you, it's creating an actual budget and starting to work through it and, and, and actually do it. For you, maybe it's the decision to say, I'm going to pay all my debt off. My car payment, I'm not going to have, I'm going to, it's going to hurt because I'm going to have to give up Starbucks or I'm going to have to give up cable, but we're going to get completely out of debt and put a date on it. By this time, we will have nothing but the mortgage. Now I'm going to get crazy with some of you because your financial world is actually maybe in order and everything's great and you don't have any debt other than your mortgage or your business loan or whatever. Here's a challenge for you. Let's just take this up to the, the pro level. Why don't you write a date down like 2020 and say, By 2020, by 2025, I will have zero debt, no mortgage, nothing. I don't owe anyone to any anything to anybody except maybe the continuing obligation to love people. Other than that, I know that's crazy talk, right? That's un-American, isn't it? What would your life be like if you didn't owe anybody anything? Is that something that God's whispering into your heart? Is that a dream that maybe God wants you to see realized in your life? Now I said you don't have to show these decisions to anybody, but I love hearing your stories. So if you would and feel comfortable, if you want to write what your decision is on your Connect card, this week I will be the only person who looks at the Connect cards first. If you've got something, you're just sharing it with me and you don't have to, but if you want to, write your decision on your Connect card. I will pull those out before they get out to the prayer team and everybody else. Or just catch me in the hallway at some point in the next couple of weeks. I'd love to hear, because I love to, to encourage you. I love to be encouraged by your story. I love to pray for you. I love to see people moving their life closer to God. And that's all I want for you, is to move closer to God. Who cares if you get your finances in order if your heart is not right with God? If Jesus is not Lord of your life, you can die the wealthiest person on the planet and 
Who cares if you gain the whole world if you lose your soul? So, finances touch so close to what's really important to us that I, I can't leave this message series without inviting you to at least consider putting Jesus as number one in your life. And if you would want to do that, you catch me after service, and we'll talk about what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life, to be baptized in water, to, to have a completely different future than the one that you had before. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us now before we go into our time of communion. Let's just pray together. God, I want to thank you so much for all that you bless us with. As Americans, I already know, even the poorest American is so far ahead of so many people in the rest of the world. And yet we struggle. And this is an area where there's, with the, with the blessing has come a lot of pain for a lot of us. And we've, we've done dumb things with our finances. And, and yet I know that your whole dream for us is to be truly free people in every way. Free from sin and free from slavery to things and addiction. And I'm asking for today to be a day where people do truly get free, that they experience your presence. And God, I pray that you'd be working in our hearts so we would know what it is that we need to do next because you are all wise and you always have the best answer and the best dream for our lives. And we trust you in that. And I know maybe some of us can't say that yet. I pray that you would just continue to show us how much you love us so that we can truly say your way is the best way. I ask for you to continue to bless this church. I'm so happy to be part of it. Thankful that you brought us all together. And I pray for you to continue to make us into what you want us to be. And I ask all this in Jesus' name.